You are listening to The Bill Podcast with me, Natalie Rolls, brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk and cityfiction.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to part two of my special trilogy with the wonderful Raji James. This time we do a deep dive into Raji's time on the bill, discussing key storylines, some of our co-stars, behind the scenes politics and how and why Raji left the series. Raji also shares his experiences of joining EastEnders and recalls his famous death scene in Doctor Who. Just before then, I'd like to quickly tell you about the new book by our sponsor, Michael Seeley. In 1963, the BBC tried something different with a new soap opera. Rather than create another Coronation Street, emerging playwright David Turner devised Swizzlewick, a bold, satirical comedy set within a Midlands town council, populated by outrageous stereotypes with enormous character flaws. Its broadcast in 1964 outraged local government and panicked the BBC, who soon came under fire from Mary Whitehouse's clean-up TV campaign. What happened next? Find out in Michael Seeley's brilliant book, Taste and Decency, The Swizzlewick Story. Out now from shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. You had some great stuff in there. I did, yeah. You had complicity. Complicity was your first yeah. headliner of the of a storyline. I think complicity was the that was the one with Guyana the Watts, which was and Russell Tovey. Yes. In in one of his first TV roles, if not the first. Yes. And it was the car stealing. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You went undercover and you did it all on your own. You didn't want help. We were in a car park where they did this big <clears throat> car meet, you know, where you have loads of people with souped up cars all revving their yeah. engines. And, and that was in this big car park in Croydon. And and weirdly, another thing I found out years later was one of the young girls that was there draped over one of the cars was a girl called Pooja Shah, who ended up playing my sister when I was at EastEnders. Oh, wow. That is yeah. cool. Was that Richard Hanford? I think that was I think Richard, still Richard yeah. It? Yeah, 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 yeah. The lovely yeah. Richard Ham- Hamford. Yeah, he was lovely. He was one of those people. He would talk and, you know, if you bumped into him, you'd have a chat. He always had time for you. Who was the funniest to work with? That that chopped and changed. I, I mean, at first, I think George was was just unbelievable to work with. His ability to be so funny and ridiculous and just bonkers. And then... 
in a in a split second he'd be very serious very serious and really professional and really kind of like stop messing around now and you'd be like you, you were literally messing around you <laughs> you know yeah jared simmons was very very funny because we used to i remember one night we got to a point where we were counting how many times i said yes gov <laughs> and it was just getting to the point i think we were up to about 16 in one it <laughs> and he would just look at me and go not again it's all up that's all I've got to say. Yes, go. 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 Oh, go. Go. Oh, I love Ted. He wrote a book. I read that book. Ben Payton's just had a book released. I've seen that on Twitter. I've seen it on yeah. Twitter. I saw a picture of Maddox with it in an airport, I think. For her holiday reading, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen her at all? Have you bumped into... I've seen, I've seen no one. I've seen no one. Part of that's my... I, I live quite a quiet life really i sort of keep myself to myself but yeah i don't i don't really do socializing are you uh big on the old instagram twitter or any of that do you know i'm on them i've got them I've, I've got instagram which i've set to private because i was getting especially when i joined hollyoaks when i first started there it was like instantly a hundred requests like overnight and and so i i've, I've kept them I keep it on private because I'm I'm not someone who shares an awful lot of stuff. I might post something every now and then on Twitter to say, you know, what the hell are this government doing? Or, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Or if I find something particularly funny or something educational that I think other students that follow me might, might want to be interested in, you know, but I don't really understand social media, to be honest. I know people actually make money from it. I don't, I don't get that. It's it's quite gossipy, it can be. And I think if it had been around our time when we were at the Bill, we probably, I think Scott Maslin was probably one of the first to go on one of those platforms. I think it had just, I remember thinking, what's he doing? He's always on his phone. Like, mm. like you, I'm a little bit more, I want to be out there and enjoying the day. I can't be. Yeah. I'll do bits and pieces. But it, yeah, that's interesting because like lots of people use those vehicles when they're in shows. Like you're in Hollyoaks. I know Carl Collins and Chris Simmons. Did you yeah. meet them up there at all? Were no, they... they'd all they'd all gone by the time I. People talk about Carl quite a lot. He's very very liked up there. And I mean, I, I used to love working with Carl. I remember we did a, a sequence of scenes. I think it was in the build up to the the race riots and. Uh, firebombing of the station and we we got to one point where we we realized we we'd essentially played the same scene about six or seven times across four or five episodes you know but the scene itself had the same information in so it'd be yeah him him telling me i was out of order and that he wasn't going to keep my secret anymore and me <laughs> saying just give me another day blah 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 and we just got to the point where it was almost like it was word salad and and we'd have to kind of try and think what what day of the show is this what what part of the story is this because it's exactly the same scene with yeah. the same information and the only way we could work out what was happening was looking down to see which color tie we had <laughs> but, oh yes the blue tie oh that's the red it's the red tie <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's I love those. Oh, I mean, it was like that though, wasn't it? You had to find your way and and balance. Yeah, because 
the day. Some days you'd be you'd be filming, you know, a scene from episode say one in the morning, and then you'd be in a scene from episode six in the afternoon, and then it'd be a night shoot from episode three, and then you'd be, you know, next day you'd be doing something from episode two, and it's like, where am I in the story? Yeah. I don't know which bit this is, you know. Yeah, yeah, I remember like laying out the the scripts. And and doing the stickies, trying to colour coordinate, and it was just there weren't enough stickies. This is ridiculous. Yeah. This is just doesn't. None of it is doing that. It was. I think yeah. that was when it was going into the two two out the two one hours a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. that was crazy. And also, we had those apps where we so- suddenly got told we were doing. Oh, this is a post watershed episode. You know, so now. Now you can say bloody, or yeah. you can you can actually grab the person instead of look like you've grabbed them, and it was all sort of slightly different Ooh. rules that we could do. What about you the know. punch? What about the Simpson knockout punch in the area? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I'd forgotten about those. I mean, you know what it's like when you're in it; you don't really watch it. So when you you recall mm. stuff back, that whole thread was brilliant. If that was played out now, I wonder how differently that would have been written, or if it would if it would be written in a different way. How did that feel for you? At the beginning of it, I was I was quite um, hate to say it, I was quite suspicious it was going to be done badly. There was a lot of occasions where people would ask me questions because it was to do with race, and they'd say, "Oh, do you think that's realistic?" Or do you and I sort of started taking offence because I was like, why are you asking me? Why are you not asking the white guy standing there? Why, you know? But I think that was about more to do with me being oversensitive than it was about them trying to get it right. Do you know what I mean? And I misread the situation a little bit. So it took me a little while to, I think, while doing it, to get into how valid it was and, and actually how really hard everyone was working to get it right right yeah and i think in fairness the main success of it was down to um mark frost thank you yes brilliant actor he was just absolutely brilliant and every day that he was there he brought this energy where he played that really fine lie of the upstanding businessman who had this awful nastiness underneath him and he was right on that line so when I started doing scenes with him it came to life and then it all made sense that was the other thing about the bill that I I didn't really fully appreciate until years later was all of the brilliant actors that we got to work with and all the little bits of information and technique that you'd pick up off them and learn and kind of hopefully become a better actor by working with them, you know. It's a huge opportunity. Lovely. Yeah. Just wish I'd appreciate it more at the time. I think we everyone says that. I think we all we had, you know, like the appreciation for, for the job, the people, the the whole setup was enormous. And yeah. yet there's that part of your brain a little bit like when you did East Disease and you think, yeah, I'm going to go on and do this and da 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 you know, and it's like you have this, I don't know, I don't know what it is. 
I'm so grateful for the people I met. Yeah. The talent that threaded everything together that made hopefully us work harder. And you were so grateful to see someone like Mark Frost or whoever it was. I think you had another one with Carol Royal. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate I know Carol because we have the same agent. So when she was coming in to work with her, I, I kind of, we'd already spoken and, and, and to see her on set, it was just like, oh, you know, because we'd seen each other like at do's with my agent and stuff. But then to kind of, it was kind of weird because Carol was so lovely, so beautiful and so, such a beautiful human. And then for my character to be kind of having an affair with her and, and kissing her and stuff. And it was like, oh God, no, no, that's weird. It's like she's a friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, wow, what a privilege. But, oh, she's so beautiful, Carol. Still is. She did some beautiful stuff to me. Really, really heartbreaking. And Russell Povey as well. I remember being in a, an interview scene with him. I remember coming out and going, wow, that kid, he's he's absolutely on the money. He's, I mean, he is amazing. Yeah, I did some night shoots with him. And there was a scene where he has to beat me up. He hits me with a, a, a tire iron. And just everything about the way he worked. And I remember, and I'm not saying this because I now know who Russell Toby is, but I remember at the time, I actually took notes about the way he was working. Because he would do things like while everyone else was setting stuff up, normally I'd go out and just have a cigarette or whatever and go and get a coffee, you know, while they but he was walking the set. He was walking pace by pace. I'm going to clean. And I could see him going through stuff. I'm going to be here. Then I'm going to swing. And he was just working, 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 working. Just on his own, just doing his own little thing, you know. Or he'd be off to one side. If if the guys were setting up the lights or whatever, he'd step out of the way and he would just be quietly. And you could see him just going through, going through the work. And yeah. I was just watching and thinking... Oh my God, there's someone who's really taking this seriously. And it's just a reminder to me to, you know, not take it for granted because we were doing it every day. It kind of, sometimes I think it was easy to slip into the, go through the motions. And I had to work really hard. I, I Certainly towards the last six months or so I was there, I was having to work really hard to not allow myself to just go through the motions, to remember that every scene had importance, you know. Well, like you were saying, how many yes gaffs or, you know, whatever the magic was in, in the CID scenes, you had to make something of it because otherwise you'd leave in two hours and you'd be going, well, what was all that? You know, so yeah. you really had to bring something. Yeah. It did make you work harder, yeah. actually, if you had less lines in something, I, th- I thought. And whereas if you had the big storylines and they were they were filtered through, uh, I quite like doing that when you could see the end. There was the end, and you had to yeah. weave your way through. I love I love that side of it. Was it your idea to leave, or I can't remember how you left? Now, what was your story exit? Was that the uh, Simpson one? Yeah, yeah. Because so after I hit his head on the desk, Meadows comes in. And says, you know, what's going on here? You know, you say, what the hell? <laughs> so he, he comes in uh, and then I think there's a shot 
I think it was uh, Chris Simmons up on the balcony of the CID room looking out and you just see Vixing walking off. And then I think it was like two weeks later the place got fireballed. Ah, you weren't burnt alive. You see, he could return. No. If the bill ever came back, would you, would you, would you? Um, I think, well, never say never, but I think intellectually in my head, I've always had this sort of thing of never go back to anything, you know, because once you've done it, I see the whole thing as a job and I see the whole thing as somewhere to learn and grow. So unless something changes dramatically, I think if I go back to a place where I've already worked before, uh-huh. I don't know what else I'm going to learn. I mean, obviously you never know because you don't know the people that you're going to work with. They all bring something. You can learn something new from a new team or whatever. No, I th- I, it's a weird one. The Bill and EastEnders are the two that people ask me, oh, would you go back if they asked, you know? And I've I've, I've always said no but with the caveat that you can never say never because you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm really fortunate at the moment that um, my wife works really hard and and we're kind of in a relatively secure situation. So there's not that same, I'm older, slower. You know, there's not that same drive to work for the sake of work, you know. Yeah. Yes, that work to live or live to work thing, and we're now in the work to live, you know, mode. That's nice. I think that is a nice uh, way to be. Do you remember who you shared your room with in your dressing room? Yeah, Matt Brompton. Matt, lovely Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Crikey, I haven't seen him. I think I went... I think I went up Mount Kilimanjaro in 2002 with him. And I don't think I've seen him since. Maybe he's still there. Oh, I remember that. Do you remember? Yes, I remember you doing that. Yes. With Suze, Matt, and Simon. Rousey. Yeah. Yeah, so 2002. So you didn't change rooms. It was always Matt. Uh, It was. And then I remember it was... um... It was actually the September the 11th, the the day of the that day. Yeah, um, we were on a on a roof in somewhere near Canary Wharf, filming, and there was all this confusion because of people talking about something happening, and there was people downstairs. It was the roof of a pub, and there was people downstairs in the actual pub watching stuff happening up on the screens, and at the same time members of the cast that we were up on the roof with and members of the crew were saying about something weird happening and people getting phone calls. And that was the day that they were phoning around the cast to call them in for interviews, to let let them go, to let them know that they weren't going to be renewing their contracts. And so it was a really weird morning of confusing things of information. Yeah. I think it was Suze Maddox, I think, we were up on this roof and she was saying about Matt. And he'd apparently been called into the office because he happened to be in the building at the time. And he'd finished filming something down at the base and they called him into the office and gave him this whole spiel about 
we're going to do our best for you. Thankfully, you've not been here that long, so you shouldn't have a problem getting other work and this, that, and the other. And he had to point out to them, he's been there five years. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just remember talking to him afterwards, and I was like, Matt, are you all right? Are you all right? You know, and it was like, how rude. That was the PM office, and that got very busy, that office that day, didn't it? Because it, it was. Like it you was. say, and it was, was happening, and it was all very confusing, and then there was all this real drama, and then, oh. Yeah. And I remember they phoned me um, because I'd been in the way it had worked out. I think I'd been working like nine days straight. So I hadn't had a day off for over a week. And I was coming up to having two days off. Obviously, a lot of family stuff had been put off and we were kind of trying to get stuff organized. And they phoned me. I'd finished filming. I think this was the day, I, I think this was September 12th. We'd finished filming quite late and the office called to say, could I come in tomorrow for a meeting? And I was like, no, I, I, I've been working nine days straight. I am not, you know, I've got stuff to do. I have a life. I need to do some washing. <laughs> well, well, yeah, stuff like that, you know, stuff like that. I've, I've got nappies and shit to sort out. I haven't seen my kids in nine days, see that. I agreed that I'd have a phone call at 10 o'clock. And so that's when they called. And they were very apologetic and very sweet and said, you know, look, we're really sorry, but the storyline's come to a conclusion and blah, 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 and the character and the second. And I said, that's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. And they said, oh, well, just, you know, so we won't be renewing your contract. And come just check when is your renewal date? So I'd said to them, well, actually, I renewed last week the contract. For another six months, <laughs> another six months. Was it yeah. one of those? Yeah. Oh. So they were talking about having three or four episodes left to my story. Yeah. And I said, well, that's fine, because you're paying me for six months, whatever happens. <laughs> Have me. <laughs> yeah, so I was really, I mean, for me, I know it wasn't the same for everyone, but for me, it was really fortunate the way that timing. Yeah. That worked well. Yeah. I mean, the only downside was the only downside was they did, and I understand why. But as a production company, they held me to that six months, so I wasn't allowed to do anything else. And it was unfortunate because I did have two film offers that came in, and they they wouldn't let me do it. Uh, you know, can't complain. I was still getting paid, so it didn't matter. And you went on to EastEnders nearly, what, so pretty directly after that, 2003? Did he see Diane? Was Diane in that with you? Was she already there in Paris? Uh, yeah, she was. But I didn't have a lot to do with her character. She was another one of those people that when I, when I was there, I was very conscious of how good she was. And it's more to do with how much you know when i see people in the green room or whatever and the way that people work when they're not on set you know that you get some people just sit and chat and smoke fags and drink coffee and you get others that are there working on their scripts or checking stuff with the crew and having conversations about why is my character doing this and why is that and she was one of those that was working she was there to work 
Absolutely. I always admired that in her. Yeah. Very good. Very We're good. After. Yeah. They're excellent. And how was that time there? Well, I just bought a, a moped when I was at the bill. And then by the time I got to EastEnders, because I was in South East London and EastEnders is in Northwest London. So um, I, I upgraded to a motorbike. So I was basically driving a motorbike diagonally through London, you know, six o'clock in the morning, which was fab. <laughs> it was fabulous. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was great. It was great working there. Like anywhere, there was lots of politics and, and I always get a bit, uh, I struggle when a workplace gets political and, and, and it all becomes about, you know, who likes who and who's in favour and all of that. And it stops being about the actual work. But no, I managed to avoid most of that. So yeah, it was a good time. And there was a great bunch I was working with and, you know, the crew and the team and uh, just everyone was just really keen to get the job done and job done well. You know, so that's always a pleasure when you're in that sort of environment. And were there any crew that you bumped into from from the bill days? That oh, were put... yeah, yeah, every yeah. every day, every day. <laughs> it's uh, great, isn't it? When you start, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's, there was a few occasions where I where I'd get a bit confused where I was <laughs> because it'd be like, yeah, half of the half of the crew would be from the bill, and they'd be like, hold on, what we do? What we doing? What's happening? The, the difference of character between the Bill and EastEnders, how was that for you? Did you like the writing on EastEnders? Yeah, I did. And I was very fortunate as well because uh, the way it all worked out is I had quite a lot of input on the character before we'd even filmed. They wanted to do uh, a storyline where he was uh, a compulsive gambler and that that would become a, a, a slow burn long thread and um, because it's something I had personal experience of um, I, I managed to you know have quite big conversations with them about what it was like what I'd experienced and what people I knew had experienced and the big thing was that we really 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 I'd said right from the beginning what didn't want to happen was for him to sort of one minute having a bet in the bookies and, the, and like a week later, be addicted, you know, yeah. that it yeah. needed that it needed to be a slow burn. And that was always the intention. And then unfortunately, there were other problems that occurred within the show to do with certain actors that had difficulties. And so schedules changed and storylines got compressed. And so in the end, it was like, I think it was the Monday episode, you see him have his first bet. And by the Friday episode, he was betting the whole house on a horse so it didn't quite work out as we wanted <laughs> but, but the, the intention was there <laughs> you know. so the the meetings were important <laughs> to help you with yeah. your character <laughs> yeah. they gave you yeah. time the doctor who clip that i was given <laughs> that's what <laughs> go down as the most iconic death with the plungers <laughs> Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, was, uh, I think I'm the only person to have been suckered to death. <laughs> you suffered. Uh, what about your kids? They must have loved that. Uh, do you know, it's weird. Either of them are that sort of thrown by seeing me in stuff. And I think, again, due to their age, I think they've 
they've never been in the demographic of the stuff that I'm in. <laughs> so, so it's actually rare that they've seen me in fitness. <laughs> it's never, it's never been a thing. I remember once with my with my um, eldest when we were at the bill. It just so happened he was the bill was on telly one day, and my character on screen left the room just as I got home from work. And right. there was a there was a brief moment where he was a bit confused because <laughs> he was only about like five or six at the time. Um, but that's that's been it really. They, did, they don't really. I don't think they ever really pay that much attention to stuff I do. Oh well, they should be proud of you, Daddy. They should be proud. What did they not? None of them are interested in in the business at all. Your kids? No. No. I mean, my my youngest is uh, for quite a while was working. And I'm, I don't really understand a lot of it, to be honest. But he was working within the music industry um, with rappers and and doing promotional stuff and video grabbing and stuff. I don't really understand it. So he was doing that for a bit. But my my eldest works for an IT company, so he works in sales and marketing and stuff. And you know, they're just different worlds. No, yeah. I don't understand. No, and they probably don't understand your world. So that all works. I tell you, Ray Peacock's world is funny. <laughs> yeah. I started listening to it the other day and I had it on in the background and I was like, you know, we have to go back and, and go back a few seconds. I did I hear that? That was an interesting, that went on for a couple of years. I think that was me having a, a rather private public breakdown <laughs> that was over a couple of years yeah i mean it all started out as just a big bit of silliness and then it seemed to in within a very small niche get quite popular for for ray and for ed ed gamble who's the other comedian involved i think it was for them it made sense to do it because it was always adding to their live comedy audience you know, the same people who would listen to it would be the same people that would buy their tickets. So for them, it made sense doing it. For me, it made literally no sense to do it. <laughs> because because I was always the butt of the joke. We linked a lot of the things to the kind of the stupid version of me. So we would exaggerate real things that had happened. But because there was this grain of truth in them, I think a lot of people found it quite difficult to separate the Raja James in the podcast to the Raja James in real life. Well, Raja James went to, didn't go to Anishare or live under the no. stairs. <laughs> no, no, no. So there was, and uh, it was the time thing as well, like born in 1920. And then hang yeah. on, sort of like, what is this? And the, I'm the child of Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Bizarre. This special trilogy with Raji will conclude next time when we'll be talking about fame, self-tapes, and Raji takes part in roles play. So stay tuned for more gold dust. You have been listening to The Bill Podcast, presented by me, Natalie Rolls. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk and citifiction.co.uk.
The Bill podcast is produced by Oliver Crocker, co-produced by Ben Adams, Glenn Allen, Rob Cook, Georgina Dark, Sarah Kuyper, Calvin Millward, Maz Mirabliss, Alex Mockler, and Simon Wolf. Executive produced by Isabel Allen, Ben Ashmore, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, Tony Drury, Dan Evans, Laura Ewing, George Fairbrother, Luke Hegarty, Alan Hunting, Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Lucy McNeil, Gary Moncur, Danny Morris, Steph Morris, Claire Norbury, Laura Pinifay, Michael Seeley, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Paul Statter, Patrick Stratford, Tom Wentworth, Michael Weil, and Sarah Went. The theme music is composed by Matthew Annis. You can unlock over 100 hours of bonus The Bill podcast content as a patron, including cast and crew commentaries, reunions, reactions, pilgrimages, <laughs> off the beat podcasts, and much more. Support us from $2.49 a month at patreon.com forward slash the bill podcast. Mm-hmm.